It is an absolute honor to introduce our next guest, a former first round pick in the NHL who would end up playing for seven teams over 17 years, tallying up close to 1,000 games in the league. He's a man who carved out an excellent career thanks to an unquestioned work ethic, as well as the ability to adapt his game in order to help out his team in the best ways possible. Lessons he now passes on as an assistant coach for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's a husband, a father of four, and someone who understands the importance of physical and mental fitness, which is a big reason why he's the newest champion for the Canadian Men's Health Foundation. I'm talking about Manny Malhotra. We're very pleased to be joined by Manny Malhotra, assistant coach of the National Hockey League and the newest national champion of the Canadian Men's Health Foundation. Manny, why was it important for you to get involved in this cause? I was contacted uh, by my good friend TC Carling about this initiative last year and just the things that he was explaining, what the, the foundation stands for and what's it, what its goal is motivated me to, to get involved just because as I get older, seeing friends go through different mental health challenges, family members, it's such a top of mind topic and issue these days that it's one that I wanted to be a part of just for, even for my own self to just be more educated in what is going on out there to help the mental health of people out there. In his explanation of everything that it stood for and everything that it did, it's an incredible cause and I, I want to be a part of it. Mental health, physical health, things that I think we're talking about a lot more these days, which is great. And, and speaking about uh, health, you recently had a chance to try Men's Health Check on the website. And did you learn anything you didn't know? And for those out there that might not know what it is, it's a tool that you can take that will help uh, predict perhaps where some trouble lies in your future health-wise. Manny, did you learn anything? What I, I did find extremely helpful was it just gave me an opportunity to analyze things in my life and what's going on. Nutritionally, how am I taking care of myself, physical activity, mental health? All these things are so important and on a daily basis, they're things that we really take for granted and just get on with your day. Whereas with this tool, it just gives you a chance to sit back and think about what, what are you doing on your daily basis? And there were some things that just reminders to myself, I need to be more on top of, especially when you get into the components of family history, you just want to make sure you're heading down the right path and taking care of yourself in the right way to make sure you're avoiding those issues that may come up. We encourage people to go to the website and try it. It's anonymous. It helps identify the risk levels for the top eight health conditions that affect men the most. So it takes only five minutes, go and do it. We did it. It's easy. Just answer honestly. And at the end, you'll find out uh, where there might be some risk in your future. Thanks for doing that, Manny. And we encourage others to do it as well. Let's get to where you are now in life. I, I used to see you quite a bit back in the 2015, 2016 through uh, your coaching with the Canucks. Uh, you always look like you're in better shape than the players when you were coaching. <laughs> <laughs> you still managed to keep that, uh, that intense workout uh, regimen. Yeah. It's something that I enjoy. It's something I incorporate into my daily routine. I found that not only the, the health benefits of just feeling better for myself, I find that it is really a way of grounding myself and refocusing for the day, just the way that schedule works out with my four kids being very active, uh, obviously after school or in hockey or basketball, gymnastics, dance, all these things, 
when I get home from the rink, my, my evenings are pretty much occupied. So I, I get my, my workout in the morning before work. And I found that for me, it just, it really, it gets me focused on the day and allows me to burn off unnecessary energy so that when I get to task, I can just be on top of things. And it's one less thing in my day that I, I know I want to accomplish, but I get that off my plate early in the day. And it just sets up my day to be much more uh, productive. It, it feels like when you do it, you set yourself up for success. You've got something out of the way, something makes you feel good, something that perhaps makes you think a little bit clearer. Have you always, pre-kids, did you still work out in the morning or could you just work out anytime? Was it less regimented? Starting coaching, I, I only had kids when I started coaching. Yeah. And obviously without kids, I was in my playing days. You're naturally working out all the time. And in the summertime, you're training. So it, it was obviously far easier and and basically my job was to stay in shape. So from that standpoint, it was much easier with kids and, and coaching. I found it, there's definitely a, a balance that you have to find and mainly within your time, just managing your time appropriately. So that's so what you were alluding to earlier in terms of just getting a quick workout. And for myself, I realized that a little is better than none. And so I jam pack as much work and, and high workload as I could into a 20, 30, 40 minutes was a long one just because uh, of the schedule we keep. But I, I found that was a big thing for myself was just realizing a little bit in the day is better than nothing. Just a 15 minute run or a 15 minute bike or a quick 20 minute lift had that same effect uh, of having a, a set focused workout for an hour for me. Have you always been that way? Because this is something that's been new to me in the last couple of years. I, I used to be, if I didn't have an hour to work out, I was like, I don't have enough time. I can't do it properly. And I've now come to the realization that if you've got 20 minutes and even if it's just a quick run with the dogs up the creek, it's better than nothing. It still makes you feel good. But that's something I didn't really realize until the last couple of years. If I didn't have my allotted amount of time, I would say, screw it. But now I don't. Yeah, I, I think that for me, especially has come with kids. As, as a parent, uh, your time is not your time. <laughs> so just allocating that set time to myself. And, and obviously as a parent, you can't say, okay, I'm going to take this two and a half hours and I'm going to do my bike and my training and my yoga and all these things. You allocate whatever time you can. Uh, and for me, it's that 20 to 30 minutes in the morning before work. But I, I found that time management for me was a big thing. And more importantly, I found that it, it really helped balance me to be a better dad and to burn off that unnecessary energy. And I found that when I don't get those workouts in and I don't get that sweat in, I'm just a little bit more on edge. And I, I feel like that energy is, needs to be burnt off somewhere. For me, it's just allocating that time and making sure I do make that time for myself. And obviously, it's like I said, you can't allocate two hours to, to what you want to do, but at the very least, that half an hour for me uh, gets the job done. So these high-intensity workouts, did you just begin to incorporate them uh, post-playing days because of time management? Is that the reason why, or is this something you enjoyed anyway? No, the, these definitely w came out of necessity. As I alluded to before, in your playing days, your job is to stay in shape. So all your time is committed to however long it takes. If it's a two-hour workout, if it's a three-hour day, if it's a to a day workout, then, then that's what the time calls for. And, and you take that because it is your job. Whereas in post playing career, the, my time became more of the family's time. And obviously my wife is very 
accepting of the hours that I keep and the amount of time that I am away. So family time is extremely important. When I am home, I, I do my best to make sure I'm present and here and being as involved with the kids' activities as possible. But when I get to the rink, I get my uh, 20 minutes, 30 minutes carved out in the day to, to make sure I burn off that energy. You know, very athletic family. Your, your wife was an athlete as well. Do you guys exercise as a family? Do you take part in some of these activities? Do you, on the weekends, do anything with the kids, like the sports that they're playing? We, we try to do as much as we can with them, whether it's just even just going to the park and running around, throwing balls, uh, going to the tennis court, uh, being in Toronto now, there's a, a lot of outdoor rinks in the wintertime. So we get on the ice with the kids. Uh, but I found that to be so fun. And there's times where they may be tired from school or, or they just want to rest at home. And I'm the one dragging them out because I want to play. <laughs> it becomes, they're my play dates for the day. But we definitely do make sure we stay active with them. I found through COVID, especially in the lockdown in Vancouver, we were doing family workouts. It started out as a joke, but after a while, the kids really got into it. And we'd set up obstacle courses and do different types of things and running beep tests in the alley, that kind of thing. So we, we do make a, a point to, to try to play together, may not be a, a set workout, but we're definitely spending the time being active with them. You think it's important, obviously it's important to stay active, but to set that example for the kids, obviously you were a professional athlete, that's what they knew growing up. But uh, do you think that sets an example for the kids to get involved physically, to play sports when they see that their parents did it, their uncles did it as well? Yeah, very much. I try to lead by example in that sense. And obviously, as we know in today's society, it's so easy to get lost in your iPhone or your iPad or sit on the computer and veg out and watch videos all day. I definitely do make a point to make sure they don't see me on screens that often. And even just to get outside and play, I'll just go outside by myself and start kicking a soccer ball around or throw a ball against the rebounder or just go to shoot hoops outside or, or do something. And I found that the more I've done that, the more eager they are to get involved and all of a sudden they start drifting outside and then they're playing and all of a sudden we have a baseball game going in the backyard. So I definitely do think it's important to try to model that example for them and just to build those habits into their day-to-day. -day. Okay, nutrition. We call the NHL the never hungry league if you're traveling on the charters. And I always think about it this way. You get on a flight after a game and players can eat whatever they want. But I've been sitting on my rear end for three hours. I didn't burn 2,000 calories. Do I need to have that steak and mashed potatoes? It's <laughs> wine. I'm usually pretty good turning down the food, but did you change that at all once your playing days were done? Calorie consumption? Mandatory. It's absolutely yeah. mandatory. <laughs> There's definitely a conscious shift for me that, as you said, I'm not burning however many calories a day, being on the ice twice a day for a morning skate and then game and then riding bike. And so there's an, an effort to be made to make sure that I'm not eating that fourth and sixth meal of the day. As you said, it's so easy to get caught up in there's food around. And so I may as well eat it, but it definitely is something that I tie to my workouts. And a lot of times I joke around with friends. I, I don't really call it a workout anymore. I call it a work off. I'm basically working off that next glass of wine I want to have, or I'm working off that eggs Benedict from breakfast. And I've always loved food. So for me, I don't want to change my eating habits too much. So that essentially is part of the reason I work out so hard is that I, I want to be able to eat what I want 
when I want without feeling guilty about it. But there's definitely a shift in, in consciousness and, and awareness of what I'm putting in my body these days. Manage your stress, not the other way around. For simple ways to improve your mental health, check out the free MindFit Toolkit from the Canadian Men's Health Foundation. Complete a self-assessment, access virtual counseling, and learn more about how anxiety, stress, or depression might be impacting your health. Go to menshealthfoundation.ca and access the MindFit Toolkit to start improving your mental wellness today. You know, when you play with the Canucks, that one of the ways the players said you led was through attention to detail, fitness, nutrition. Were you always up to speed on nutrition, Manny? Like, for, like before you were a first round pick, did you always understand the importance of it? Or is it something that you learned as you became a professional? It's definitely a learned behavior. Uh, and I can remember at my first training camp with the New York Rangers sitting at the Olive Garden uh, with a bunch of the young guys who had being pros for a couple of years, they'd been in the AHL and I remember them talking about their calorie intake. Oh, I got to watch this. I'm, I'm only going to have the chicken. I had dessert yesterday, so I'm not going to have dessert today. And I'm thinking in my head at 18 years old, why are you, why do you care about the calories? Just eat what you want. I, it, it never really occurred to me. And as I got older and uh, I recognized the importance of the fuel. I didn't look at it just as food anymore. I, I understood the value of the fuel you were putting in your body. And from there, I, I took more of a, a concentrated effort or a, a focus on making sure I put quality in my body to get quality out of my body is the way I put it. And there was a lot of people in my life at the time, Steve was still playing and obviously very avid exercise enthusiast and diet enthusiast. So he went through a couple of spells that I grafted towards and I found a change in the way my body felt and the way I was able to perform. So I saw the benefits of diet. So yeah, moving forward, sorry to get long winded here, but yes, it, it was definitely a learned behavior on understanding the importance of food and, and putting value in that. So a couple questions just about being on the road. First off, are, are you a good sleeper? Are you able to get a certain amount every night? No, I'm not a great sleeper. And I've over the last few years had a better understanding of the importance of sleep. And I'd be lying if I said I, I hold myself accountable to those eight hours with our schedule that we keep and the travel as it's difficult playing a game, traveling to the next city, getting in at two o'clock and still getting your eight hours when you have a, a meeting or practice the next day. There's a more conscious effort to sleep at the appropriate time, but just with our, our specific schedules, it, it doesn't allow for it. But I'm aware of getting your 20 minute power nap when possible on game days. Being at home doesn't allow for that, obviously, with the kids around or the, having their activities to go to. But yeah, sleep is something that I, I want to get better at. So the nap, you've, you've kept that tradition from your playing days on the road? It's a, yeah, it's a real quick one. <laughs> Coaches' hours are much different than players' hours. So I, but I, I try to get it in when possible. Yeah, I, I know that at home, because I'm not a great sleeper, and I know I'm always going to wake up at between 4 and 4.30, no alarm. 
So I try to go to bed early because I know I can fall asleep. I just can't stay asleep. So right. when I'm home, I try to, I put, we only have one child, put her to bed around nine. I'll start reading a book or watching a show and I want to be lights out by 10 because I know there's a good chance that I won't even get the six. Yeah. The road is different. You're getting at two in the morning and you just, you get what you can get. But man, it's a game changer when you can have those good sleeps. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Those nights where I do go to, to bed at a decent hour and I'm waking up with no alarm, I definitely feel the difference. hundred yeah. percent. How do you stay present for your kids when you're not present with your kids, when you're on the road with your busy schedule? It's tough. Obviously with FaceTime, it helps a lot to be able to see them and try to interact on a daily basis, a couple phone calls a day. And, and if it's around bedtime, try to read with them via FaceTime or go over homework or just to chat with them. But I find it's so important for, for myself. I want to hear their voice. I want to talk to them. I want to know what's going on, but I, I feel it's important just to be there as much as possible because as again, being on the road for long stretches, it's not your typical job nine to five, you get home, you see the kids and, and you do it all again the next day. As they get older, they realize the time differences. I used to be, I'll, I'll be home in three sleeps. I'll be home in 10 sleeps. Whereas now they, they get it completely. It makes being at home even more of an effort to not an, an effort, but a, a more of a focus for myself to make sure I'm present and there and not on a screen and paying attention to them. Yeah, it's difficult, but I think if there's the interaction, even if it's brief, just to say hi and good night, I think that helps greatly. As long as you're not messing with the wife's mojo when she's got the parenting going, you butt in for a phone call. Yeah, I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> I've learned. I've learned to stay out of it. Yeah. Let's go to your playing days. You're, you're famous for being able to adapt, define roles that would best support your team, help your team, not always the flash rules, face-offs, the killing penalties, but you were great at finding the role your team needed you to play and doing that to its best. Can you take those lessons into life, being able to adapt when conditions aren't perfect, you're on the road, you're traveling, you may not have access to the nutrition you want. You can't be perfect, but can you take those lessons just to adapt to everyday life? What? Yes, for sure. I'll start that by saying I understand being in the NHL and being a part of the NHL, working in the NHL is an absolute privilege. And as you fly on chartered jets, you stay in nice hotels, meals are provided. So on your day-to-day, -day, there's not a whole lot that you can complain about when you think about real life situations. Like it's a very comfortable life. So when situations arise that aren't optimal, you put things into perspective and, and you understand it's not a horrendous day in my life when I just said, I can't get the nutrition I want, or I, the bus is late, or I, they're so minute in, in the grand scheme of things that yes, you just adapt to certain situations and you roll with it. I, I found over the years that the more worked up you get about situations that are out of your control, it's really a, a waste of energy and a waste of time. Definitely. I take that those lessons from my playing days, control the things you can control and then accept the things that you can't. And I try to apply them on a daily basis. Do you ever reflect on your career? Close to a thousand games, cup final. I think it was in Columbus where you really started to create an identity of the type of player you wanted to be in order to help your team. Have you ever taken just a step back? Uh, did you do that when you retired? 
or do you want to wait till hockey is, is done with before you take it as a whole? There, there's definitely times that you reminisce, especially when you see old teammates and uh, friends that you've made along the way. To me, that's one of the greatest parts about the NHL. And I'll say it over and over again, anytime teammates or friends have retired and they ask for those retirement videos or, or greetings, it allows you to reflect. And the one thing that comes up with me all the time is that, as I was saying before, it's a privilege to play in the NHL. It's a dream come true. You're playing a game that you love and all those things are great. But the thing for me that I took away was the relationships and the friendships and those moments. So it, it is great when you can get on the phone with friends and just reminisce about, oh, you remember that, that series we went through? Do you remember that road trip? Do you remember that Christmas party? you remember that? It, it is fun to go down memory lane a little bit, but from, from the perspective of analyzing my career, there's definitely things I draw on a day-to-day -day and, and try to relate to players, not necessarily with those stories precisely, but try to understand what they're going through. But yeah, it, it's nice to be able to catch up with old teammates and, and reminisce. Well, it wasn't all positives. There was a really difficult time for you in the 2010-2011 season when you suffered the eye injury. Was that time more difficult physically, mentally, emotionally, or were we all just in one giant bag at that point? It was all of it. It was all of that, and it was a very trying moment in my life. So obviously, from the, the physical standpoint, sustaining that injury, the first initial reaction is, will I ever play again? Which, as an athlete, is a very, very unnerving question to ask yourself. You have an identity as an athlete. You've done it your whole life. That phrase, uh, I've heard a few times, every athlete dies twice. So you, you think about, will I ever be able to do this again? So that kicks in the, the emotional side of things. And I, I went through many a night crying myself to sleep and crying on my wife's shoulder and having that woe is me type of moment. And then the mental health aspect of it, of analyzing your life. What do I do next from here? What, do, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my family? And, and on a daily basis, you go through all those emotions. And then it came a point where I was having those woe is me moments and then you know, it took my wife to kick me in the pants and say, okay, you've had your time. Now it's time to, to make your decision. Are you, are you just going to let this overcome you and, and you're all done with it? Or are you going to apply yourself and, and work to come back and work to do what you want to do? It's, but it's time to make a decision. So she was instr instrumental in, from that aspect of getting me out of that funk. And there came a time where it was time to make the decision. Am I going to allow this to overcome me or do I try to make a comeback? So it was an incredibly emotional time for me. When you were then working hard to get back on the ice, did you still have some dark moments? Like even when you decided I'm getting back, I'm going to play and I'm going to work my tail off to do it. Was there still steps along the way, setbacks that, that, that caused you to have further dark times? Yeah, many. There's any type of setback or any type of moment where it's not going your way. For me, all of a sudden, those questions came back. Like, can I really do this? Is this the end? What do I do next? And I found that persevering through those moments, I had in incredible people in my corner. Uh, number one, my wife, uh, my family, my friends, my teammates at that point. That's the one thing I, I 
mention about that group in Vancouver over and over was it, it was an incredible team, but the, the friendships and the brotherhood and, and the support you got from the guys in the room really got me to the point where those setbacks became fewer and far between and my ability to recover and get right back to focusing on getting back was a real short time. So it was, it, yes, those roadblocks were there, but as time went on, it just kept getting faster and faster to get over them. And then ultimately hitting the goal of, of getting back on the ice and, and playing again was a reality. We'll get to that part in a second, but would you have advice for someone and does not be an athlete that's suffered a, a severe injury that, that impacts quality of life or work? What advice would, would you give someone in a situation like the one you were in? I think the biggest advice would be you're going to make the decision. That phrase uh, I've heard so many times in my life and, and I brought it up to my kids many times, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. I've always loved that phrase. And for what I was going through, there was a lot of naysayers. There was a lot of people that said, you shouldn't come back. It's not safe to come back. You, you've had a good run. It's time to go off into the sunset now. But in my own heart, I believed that I could do it and I could play. And the people around me that loved me and supported me, they supported that dream. So it was on the backs of many friends and, and family that supported me, but the decision was mine to commit to getting back and doing what I wanted to do. And I didn't let the naysayers impede that at all. So perhaps have an honest conversation with yourself and then lean on family and lean into friends in those tough times. Yeah, I would say lean on the positive friends and the positive family. See, you, there will always be people that will say you can't, but if, if you truly and honestly believe that you're capable of doing something and you're capable of overcoming whatever injury or, or, or setback you've had in your life, your determination and your focus will, will be the, the determining factor in that. So it's the cup final. And I mean, I covered the whole thing and a lot of it mashes together, but there are moments that stand out to me, whether it's Burroughs slaying the dragon, but also I remember looking up at the big screen when you came out in your comeback game, you had the cage on and the crowd was going absolutely bananas. Do you remember that moment or is it one of those kind of blackout moments where you're just so, so high on adrenaline and you're out there buzzing around hundred miles an hour in the warm up? Or do you remember that moment specifically? Oh, I, I remember it very clearly. It, it was the moment for me where it was euphoric in the sense that I did it. I came back, I'm back on the ice and quicker than a lot of people had expected. And obviously the crowd chanting and the electricity of a Stanley Cup final, all those things, Vancouver, as you were there, it's, it was a palpable electricity in the building. The fans were absolutely brilliant the whole series the whole playoff run and that was my first time being on the ice in front of the crowd at that point it was also a, an extremely scary moment for me because i had worked my way i had gotten through those obstacles i built myself up in practice and i'd gone through the contacts and i did everything and i got to the point where i could play and then it was a realization like oh my goodness i have to play now like i've missed almost too much i have to play i have to perform it's it's great that i got back but now I have to play. And it was a little bit of a scary moment for me, but 
the adrenaline, the emotion, and just being out there was, it was, I'll never forget that. I still get goosebumps when I think about it. Obviously your wife plays a huge positive, important role in your life, but did you have a mentor, Manny? Or do you have mentors, whether it be when you broke into the National Hockey League or since? Are there people that you've leaned on uh, outside of family? I, I guess along the way, throughout your whole career, you meet people, you gravitate towards certain people. A along the way, almost with every team, you meet people that you strive to emulate, you want to be like, you want to follow their leadership. Early in my career, uh, I played with Adam Graves with the New York Rangers and an incredible human being, obviously a, a great hockey player, had an outstanding career. And the one thing that always stood out for me with Gravy and it's always talked about with him is he is, as one reporter said it in New York, there's Mother Teresa, there's your mother, and then there's Adam Graves. You know, he's just, he's the salt of the earth. He'll do anything for you. And he really took me under his wing in New York, my first couple of years. And he was the consummate do anything for you teammate and an incredible human being. And the biggest thing I learned from him was such a compassionate, great person, great father, great husband, salt of the earth. But when he got on the ice, he had a snarl to him. And he wasn't backing down from anybody and he was, got his nose in there. He got dirty. And I realized at that moment, you can have a dual personality being a hockey player. <laughs> you have your off ice, who you really are. And then on, on, on ice, you can be a completely different person. But his, his mentorship and his way, he just carried himself all the time. He was a, a great role model. I always think about him when, how would Gravy handle this? How would he uh, approach this? As you go on through your career, you gravitate towards certain types of people and come full circle towards the end of my career, playing with a guy like Dan Hamuse, who exemplifies those same characteristics, incredible human being, great father, great husband, very driven, very compassionate. And he's another guy, I, I say it to him all the time, when I grow up, I want to be like you, Hammer. <laughs> so you, playing days ended, you went into player development and then assistant coach which is your current uh, position with the Maple Leafs. Are there head coaching aspirations, Manny? Yes, there are. There are. Over the years, I've, even in my playing days, there's certain things that you pick up that you like and don't like. And I found towards the end of my career, I guess it started when I started playing for Hitch and he was a great teacher of the game and he allowed me to understand the game a lot better. And because of the understanding made the game easier. So as I started moving on from my days in Columbus, realizing like the more I learn about the game, the easier it becomes or the more I can help a teammate out. And, and I enjoyed the, the learning part of it. And, and I also enjoyed the teaching part of it in terms of just being able to communicate with teammates, what we should be doing on the ice, where I want you, where should I be to support you in this play? And that translated obviously right into coaching. So I love, I really enjoy playing the game. And, and now as a coach, I enjoy analyzing it and teaching it. And with that in mind, the relationship aspect of it being that everybody learns different. So I, I enjoy learning guys' personalities and learning what best suits them, how to best teach them. So that's, that's where I find myself these days. But yes, there, there definitely are head coach aspirations, a lot to be learned, but that's definitely 
on my, on my agenda. When that happens, Manny, when you're a head coach, you'll be the first person of South Asian descent to be it. But let me see if I can say this straight, because I've read some things. I think you would view yourself as a head coach who is a person of color, not a person of color who is a head coach. Does that make sense? You just want to be yeah. the best version of yourself. And then the, the other part is it's big, it's monumental, but you just want to be the best version of yourself. And the other stuff is just part. Yeah, exactly. I understand the magnitude of those titles and those roles, but even as my, in my playing days, and I've always come back to growing up in Toronto and, and being from a, such a multicultural place, it wasn't until I got older, so people started bringing that to light. Oh, you're a, your background, your father's East Indian, your mother's French Canadian, being the first person or Indian person to play in this league or do this, or you're the second person of Indian descent to do this. Where in my head, I was just a hockey player. I wanted to be a really good hockey player. And then all, after people brought it to my attention, who is of color? Same with the coaching aspirations. I want to learn and be the best possible coach I can be. And it's everybody from the outside that puts those other titles on top of you. I understand, as I said, the magnitude of it and how important that is for the South Asian community to see people or like people in those places and rise to different positions of power in areas that normally you wouldn't see. But for myself, yeah, it's, it's first and foremost, be a really good coach and then people can put whatever labels they want you after that. A couple more questions. Do you still enjoy learning? Are you still trying to pick up new things all the time in this uh, profession years? Every day. That's one of the, the, the aspects that I really enjoy in terms of just being in the coach's room. You can analyze video all you want by yourself. As soon as you start watching it with somebody else, they'll pick up on something else that you didn't even see. So I enjoy learning what others see and how they see it and how they feel it could best be taught and understanding the positives and negatives to every system, to any type of play, to... Yeah, it's, it's definitely something I enjoy about the game. And I've been told many a time by many a coach, the minute you stop learning in this league, you're probably on your way out. Do you view coaching as a relationship type of a job? Is it all about establishing those relationships, whether it be with the other coaches or the players, or is it a teaching job? Both. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very much both. Uh, it's very much both for me, reading different books about leadership and coaching and watching different documentaries. You, you hear a lot of coaches talk about how it's not all about the X's and O's. They don't want to know what you know until they know you care. Uh, I love the relationship aspect of coaching and how do you get to a certain person? Like I said, you, people learn differently. People want to be treated differently. People want messages said differently. And the way you learn is not going to be the same as somebody else or the guy sitting next to you. But to be able to reach out and express yourself and communicate the message or the game plan to 20 different individuals is something I deem uh, a real challenge, but something very enjoyable. So yes, it's very much both parts. It's you obviously teaching and instructing players but at the same time, there's definitely got to be a relationship and a rapport with everybody you're working with. Yeah. And a trust. Okay. This uh, podcast is called Don't Change Much. What does, does the phrase don't change much mean to you, Manny? 
When TC first said that to me, I paused for a second to think about it. And the more I think about it, the more I, I understand how genius it is. And from the standpoint, I know that change is difficult. Change is scary for some things. And when you talk about change, if you look at big picture things, I want to do this, I want to do this. If you just look at the grand picture, it can be a very daunting task. But when you look at the baby steps and you look at small changes in your day-to-day, over time, those add up. And the phrase to me, the more I hear it now, the more it hits me. Like You don't have to change much, just minor tweaks to your diet. Finding that 20 minutes to go for a walk in the morning is much more beneficial than saying, I got to carve out an hour and a half to go for a run and lift weights and do that. It, it can be daunting and, and it can be quite challenging to find that hour and a half. So it's, it's such an in, in, in ingenious phrase uh, that lets people know you don't have to make grand sweeping changes in your lifestyle. Little by little tweaks here and there, you're going to get to the, to the goals that you want. Yeah, it all adds up. Uh, to big change in the end, if you can make those little ones uh, at the start. Uh, Manny, thanks so much for your time. We wish you the best uh, this season uh, with the Leafs and in the best in your pursuit of becoming a head coach in this uh, league because uh, definitely, uh, I believe, you'd make a great one. I appreciate your time, Murph. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, click the follow button and join us every month for a new episode of the Don't Change Much podcast.